Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby. And this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. Ah, yes, the dulcet tones of Australia's voice of rugby, Greg Clark. Welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast once again as we uh, lament another Wallaby performance uh, against the All Blacks that, I don't know, has maybe left more questions than answers. Christy Doran from foxsports.com.au, welcome to you. Yeah, thank you very much. A little bit flat, a little bit sombre. What is it, three, four days past, what, Saturday's defeat? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to catching up with uh, former Wallaby hooker Jeremy Paul shortly. I know he will have some views on particularly the, the set piece and the line-out for the Wallabies and, and also the man that uh, has become a bit of a go-to at this time of year uh, whenever the Wallabies head to Eden Park, the last Wallaby captain to win at Eden Park in 1986, one of the nicest men in Australian rugby, but I'm sure he would be quite happy not to answer the phone at this stage every year. Andrew Slack will be joining us shortly, but... Yeah, Christy, you know, it's it's funny. Um, for the last couple of years, I've been heading out to Homebush and, and I've thought, you know, the, the Wallabies are a, a shot here. They can get it done. And it hasn't happened. But this year, I actually, I actually genuinely, there was something deep down inside I thought, this is the time that the worm is going to turn here. And you know what? It didn't. <laughs> it didn't in a big way. Uh, half time, it looked like it might, but uh, it's not a game of 39 minutes or 40 minutes. It's uh, a game of 80 minutes, and uh, the All Blacks reminded us of exactly that once again. Yeah, seldom do the bookies get it wrong, do they? Mm. And what, what, what were they, $4 outside as mm. the Wallabies or so, maybe fractionally even further out? But you're right, they tease us. They tease us continually because at certain passages throughout the game, they can look like a genuine world-class team where they play beautiful running rugby. Their defence, like it was on the weekend for the first half an hour, 35 minutes, was outstanding. And then it just all falls and crumbles apart. And you're right, it started with, with Luke Antui's missed tackle on, on Ben Smith in the 39th minute, and they only need an inch, don't they? And they just, they take it, and, and Rod Kafer said in commentary that, what, the five minutes, the ten minutes either side oh. of half-time is huge, and the All Blacks scored two tries either yeah, side a, of it. it bang, a, bang. A try a minute before half-time and a try four minutes after half-time. What do you think it is? Um, do you think that, that it's blind faith that we do head out there and, and believe? Or, or is it patriotism, nationalism? What is it? Or, or do you think there was a bit more science involved in it this year? Was there enough that, that had you thinking, OK, well, well, something is going to change here, whether it be the trial, which in hindsight was a trial match and maybe we place too much value on that, or whether it was uh, an improvement in skills, improvement in fitness? What... what was it that had us believing that that maybe this year was the one? Well, let's start with the trial match. Interesting that you mentioned that because uh, it, clearly that dominated some of the discussion for a good week either side of, the, of 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 the match. But the couple of guys that looked slightly off the pace, Michael Hooper, yep. didn't play in it because he was coming back from injury, and Dane Haylett-Petty didn't play in it, and he he drops an important ball. And Tatafu didn't. And Tatafu plotted now, and and the and obviously the set piece really struggled. So those three guys didn't take any part, and and they they would know that they weren't at their best. Uh, Haylett Petty, I think, probably his looked maybe worse than how he performed because two, well, particularly that dropping of the ball, which led to the Bowden Barrett try, was so important and integral to the game and, and the outcome of the game. So. 
But but Michael Hooper too was was clearly not at a hundred percent fitness and, and uh, oh, the effort, you, you can never question the effort of no. Michael Hooper. But uh, yeah, I mean, coming, it couldn't couldn't quite run onto the ball from Bernard Foley, which yeah. is out in front of him. But even in the sixty, I think it was in the, the, the try that Jack Maddox scored in the sixty sixth minute. It, Michael Hooper was the one who took the intercept. Which started off mm. off the try. So you're right. There were some good moments with some bad ones. Yeah, but, but back to answer your question is why do, why did we have hope and was it based more on science? I think I think you look at the there there certainly was more reason to be optimistic and the coaches all being there for a lot longer, working on a full time basis. Um, guys like Matt Tamua and Tatafu Plot are now returning. The fact that the Waratahs did better throughout Super Rugby, there was more success against New Zealand Super Rugby sides, and and the overall margin had closed from twenty two to, to eight points. So those were, were certainly reasons why you could you could speculate and think that the Wallabies were going to turn up and, and have a better performance, but. It is interesting, whilst the All Blacks completely dominated that second half, the Wallabies still created a lot of opportunities. And even in the 71st minute, the, the, the score being 26 to 13, two, less than two converted drive margin, the Wallabies attacking opportunity. Uh, and in the 71st minute, the Wallabies win the line out. <laughs> I think the only line out they won in the second half. And Tolu Latu has the ball stripped away at the back of a rolling moor from Kieran Reid, the All Blacks captain, who comes around the moor. It's completely illegal, takes it away. Jaco Piper at that instant moment... Was looking away. Was looking away yeah. to try to get the defensive... Uh, the Wallabies in the defensive line of the, of the All Blacks on side and misses the key moment. The All Blacks score two tries in the next five minutes. Mm-hmm. You can't say that the All Blacks would have lost... That no. the Wallabies would have won, but they were. You're saying that maybe the margin. The margin, I think, probably flattered the All Blacks ever so slightly. All right, there is uh, so much to talk about out of that game, and of course, uh, a lot to look at too as we head towards Eden Park on Saturday in Auckland, and and what a tough task that is. Uh, let's begin today by having a chat with a former Wallaby hooker, Jeremy Paul. Listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. JP, great to have you on board on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Interested to know your initial thoughts out of the back of uh, Saturday night. What did you make of the Wallaby performance? Oh, g'day, Nick, and thanks for having me on, mate. Um, I'm glad you finally uh, wanted a little bit of class on this show, so I'm glad you got me. Um, Mate, yeah, look, it was a great start, wasn't it? That first sort of 35 minutes, we saw um, a completely different Wallaby side to what we saw last year in the first test in Sydney where the All Blacks jumped out to a 35-point to nil start. And, look, I, I thought the spread in, in defence, because I, I was lucky enough to be at the game with my good friends, Line Nathan, in their box. Um, look, I... I <laughs> ka-ching, I love, ka-ching. Yeah, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. <laughs> Got to get those gigs, baby. Um <laughs> No, but look, I, I love I, I love the way what Nathan Gray had done um, defensively. We, we saw a great spread in the first half. Look, they, they matched up. They got off the line really, really quickly as well. And, and obviously we saw... Uh, look, Stephen Larkham has been working really well over the last couple of years with the attack. And um, I, I actually thought it was such a shame Will Guinea got injured with that fractured arm in the Irish Test Series because, unfortunately, it just wasn't um, the Will Guinea that we saw in last year's Bledisloe Cup Test Series, I thought he took a few options the wrong way, looked the wrong way a few times, and I just thought 
um, you know, we had wonderful opportunities in that first half to score and we just didn't capitalise on those. And, you know, we saw Tatafu Politur now in the first half make a break. Will Guinea pass it back on into Kirtley Beale and he knocked on. And it's just... Whereas we saw the All Blacks, when they counter-attacked, running from their own try line, you know, they, they run 90 metres and score a try. So I, I, that's my initial, you know, sort of outtake of the game. And, and that's just the, the, the class difference, isn't it? It's that ability to take your options. Exactly right. JP, let me run something by you. And, and this was... Um this was a, a theory that was put up by uh, Paul Cully in the Fairfax media on Saturday, suggesting that uh, the numbers that he'd run uh, showed that 30 points is about the sweet spot. If you want to be in the game and, and you want to give yourselves a chance of winning against the All Blacks, historically over the last few years, you've had to score around 30 points to, to be in the game. And that suggests that you've just got to attack, attack, attack. Should the Wallabies maybe recalibrate their thinking around, you know, taking pressure? And I know uh, taking points early in the game. And I know it's a, it's a it's a um, old adage in Test rugby: you take the points when they're on offer, you build scoreboard pressure. But to beat the modern day All Black side, does it does it take a bit more than three points here, three points there? Should should they consider throwing that concept out and, and kicking to the corner, and and giving that that try a crack? Yeah, look, I, look, it is a modern day game, isn't it? But look, I, I don't mind scoreboard pressure in Test match rugby because, look, you know, you can you can have all the statistics statistics you want in attack when you when you talk about you know scoring over thirty points to beat the All Blacks. You know, we look at the British and Irish Lions Test match, man. I think that second Test where they won. I think it was only 21-17. I think it was, but it, and 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 I think they drew obviously in the third Test. That was the difference. Um, you know, and, and you look at also the, the two tests that Ireland have beaten the All Blacks as well. It was purely off the back of defence. Um, you know, I think you're going to get opportunities to score because momentum switches in games. Like, you will always see momentum changes and uh, where teams will have that ability to score points. And I, I think, um, you know, I, you, you can always go for the three points if you can back your defence, Nick. Look, that, and that's the key. I mean, 6-5 in the half time. That is a great start. You've got 40 minutes left. You come out and, and allow 32 points to be yeah. across your line. I mean, that, that's the difference, Nick. It's, I, I don't think anything to do with attack because you can win the game 3-0. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you there, Jeremy. I think also going back to the the idea around taking those those early penalties, it was Michael Hooper who who asked Jarko Piper and said to him, "Look, we've got to take the three points now because uh, we're in a position where you kind of teams yeah. always do if you're straight." Oh, that was when Hoops was, was yeah. questioning whether it should be a yellow mm. card or not. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Were, were the All Blacks slightly fortunate not to have perhaps a yellow card there and Wasaki Naholo early on uh, with with a tip tackle on Israel Folau? Yeah, I, I thought that was a bit dubious, wasn't it? I thought. Um, uh, mind you, in saying that, look, common sense has probably prevailed, really, and that's all we've been asking for, haven't we, Christy? Over the last sort of, you know, probably six months now have been consistency in calls. Look, if you're going to go from one extreme of the spectrum where you're going to TMO everything, 
it's just going to completely ruin the game. Like you watch a, you know, a sort of a, a French Super Rugby game, and they're constantly looking at the TMO for every bit of foul play. Um, referees are going to miss things, and I think I, I don't mind us actually missing things as long as we now consistently go that way. And it's the same with with team penalties. I mean, I like that by Michael Hooper. I mean, isn't that the isn't that the George Gregan like of, of captaincy where you're constantly niggling the, the referee to, to basically persuade him into sending somebody off? And, um, you know, and I think that's, you know, that's great captaincy by Michael Hooper. But you, you will always get a sense when a team has pushed it too far. And I think the All Blacks will always be on that edge. They'll always be on the edge of that discipline of and pushing those boundaries. And that's what makes them such a great side, doesn't it? Like they seem to get away with it. We think they get away with it. But I think it's just the fact that they're so good at it. Yeah, consistency is uh, the word that you used earlier there, JP. And I, I'd like to think that uh, if something like the Wasaki Naholo incident happens on the weekend, uh, from our point of view, that mm. maybe Wayne Barnes will go, OK, well, this is the way we're doing it now. We didn't give a yellow card last week. We won't give a yellow card this week. So we'll, we'll see. wait and see what happens I- there. I doubt it, mate. It's, uh, you know, Barnes is you know Barnes is all about himself. I'm surprised Jacob Harper Harper didn't actually turn around and go, hey, let's have a look at the big screen too because he doesn't mind check. He doesn't mind checking himself out either. Having said screen, having but... said that though, the Wallabies against the All Blacks have got a pretty good record under Wayne Barnes, so I don't, I don't mind yeah, the fact I know. that he's refing. I'm with you, mate. Yeah. I'm with you. Go, Barnesy. You go. <laughs> um, no, I do want to. I mean, obviously, you know, you're the man in in terms of uh, getting the opinion about the line out. Tell us what you made of um, of the line out. What was it, seven or eight of our own throws we lost? Eight yeah, losses. eight. Yeah, eight um, losses. So, so is that a is that a throwing thing? Is it a communication thing? Where where does the fault lie there, or or do we just not give enough credit to what the All Blacks were doing? Oh no! Look, no, no. That's the thing about um, TV now and and analysing the game. You can't hide from it. So, you know, the eight lineouts that we did lose, four of them were poor throws. Um, they were either too short or overthrown. Um, and then we had four good defensive reads by the All Blacks where their defence um, put themselves in front of our jumpers um, and were able to get up in front and be able to either disturb the ball um, or were able to win it cleanly. And I think that's just... Oh, look, the All Blacks' line-out is the best line-out in the world. Um, they are very good at reading um, the, the markers, so to speak, or because the, there's, there's always a player that instigates a move in a line-down because of there's so many moving parts with the thrower, the jumper moving quickly across the ground, obviously the lifters, and then getting that timing right to meet the apex of the ball when it's delivered. So, um, you know, and as I always used to say, there used to be imaginary wind every once in a while that would come in and disrupt my ball or every time when a lot when you'd stuff up a line out you'd wipe your imaginary sweat off your hands on your jersey <laughs> for some reason it was just your hands that got all wet but and and that's what happens too with pressure with line outs is that when you lose one yeah, it's not too bad if you can get past it and lose two or three i can tell you that the pressure it's yeah it's quite remarkable actually it's a very lonely place as a hooker um and then people start missing line outs because they're under pressure so it becomes a calamity of errors actually and and, and when we look at the, the the set piece itself as well mate we lost five scrum penalties we only gave away nine penalties in the entire game and five of them mm. were due to scrum penalties so when your set piece is under so much pressure like that 13 bits of possession i mean that's that's an astronomical amount 
to, to give away and test footy. It certainly is. Jeremy, what would you do? We're at Eden Park this week. There's going to be 50,000-plus New Zealanders there cheering on the All Blacks for another Bledisloe victory. If you're the hooker, where are you throwing this weekend? Are you trying to bank a couple early at the front? Oh, mate, I'd, I'd just shit myself. That's what I'd do, mate. Oh, <laughs> mate, I'd, mate, I'd say, stuff this on the plane. See you, boys. <laughs> no, mate, it is. Oh, yeah, no, it's scary. No, you, you want to go to your, your safe option straight up, bang it at two, get a couple in, um, get into the feel of the game. We always used to go. But, but again, you know, if you have a good, good week at training as well, like where you have a good week, you're confident, you've done some really good practice of throwing, you know, week is a long time in sport. I'm telling you, boys, week is a very, very long time in sport. And, um, you know, everyone, I'm sure the All Blacks are going to go into this game with a little bit of complacency and uh, not because of, you know, they think they've already got it won, but just simply because of how good their performance was last week. So, you know, and we saw that last year in the Dunedin test. So, look, if, if they can get their set piece done right, bang it in, a couple of short ones, uh, or back themselves to go straight to the back, you know, that, that's a huge confidence booster that will go then flow into the rest of the game. So they need to fix that set piece up, which will give a lot more confidence to the rest of their game. You're likely to see punters out there go, geez, OK, well, why is Michael Checker going for the same team? I don't, I don't expect there'll be any changes necessarily in that, in that type five. Maybe Rory Arnold coming in there potentially. But is it, is it, do, would you find as a, as a hooker to try to have the same playing group there? How, how important is it to, to, continue to stick to your guns there rather than just oh, throw no, everyone out. Yeah, no, look, of course. Look, I, you know, regardless if you play provincial or test rugby, look, you know, provincial rugby, I got to play with guys like Bill Young, George Gregan, who played something like 60, 70 games straight. We all played, you know, something like six to seven years straight. So when you get to play with guys that you constantly, you, you, you know, you, you know, mentally and instinctively where they're going to be, um, how they are as people, what, you know, what's their trigger points, all this sort of things. It's, it's, it is so beneficial for that confidence and to know, like particularly scrum time lineouts, you just, you just know each other's game. But look, I, I think, you know, when you look at the tight five, missing Scott Seo and the loose head prop pulling out with nerve damage, that was a big loss. And young Tupo, look, I've been a big fan of young Tupo for, probably two years now where I thought his scrummaging with the Queensland Reds this year has taken dramatic improvement. He's, he has just improved. And I was actually talking to Stephen Larkham at the uh, reunion on the Friday night where we had the Bettersloe 1998 reunion. And, you know, I was saying, oh, why didn't Tupo sort of get a start? And he, they've got big raps on him, but he's still learning. He's still, cause he's still only 22. Look, he's still only a young kid. And, I think he's going to be a massive, massive cornerstone of the the Wallaby uh, pack in years to come, and it's a shame that we lost him the night before the um, before the Bledisloe Cup as well. So we are down in personnel with those two players, or, you know, and I think Jerome uh, Ainsley he, he'll only get better. It's his first test, the poor bugger. Um, you know, that's a battle of fire, yeah. isn't it? Coming into the All Blacks um, as your test debut, but look, you're only going to get better. From, from learning from that. And I think it's – and it's always been an Achilles heel, hasn't it, boys? The, uh, the tight head for Australian rugby. We just have not seemed to produce the, you know, the Carl Heymans or the Olo Browns, um, you know, these sort of players that are just – 
the names are just, they just give me nightmares when I talk about these <laughs> names. <laughs> hey, JP. I'm against them. You, you, you're talking yeah. about consistency and selection there. Um, now, there's been uh, calls for Michael Checker's head over the last couple of days. Rubbish. You, yeah. It's rubbish. So, so, oh. you, so you, you're quite happy with consistency of coaching as well, particularly a year out from the World Cup. They're, they're, you, can't, oh. you can't change change ponies now, can you? Would it be changing mate, a you, pony you, you, or changing mate, a jockey? I can't work out, but you no, can't change. Mate, look, look, look I, I, this whole coaches thing, I mean, look, we saw just, we've seen so much drama in other codes, you know, we saw Griffin get sacked four weeks out from the Penrith Panthers, you know, sort of leading into their finals campaign. I just can't believe that. And we've, we've seen in, in, you know, the English Premier League with Chelsea having eight coaches in eight years and Arsenal Wenger, who's been with Arsenal for 20-odd years, he's now changed. And uh, The one thing, though, when you see player uh, coaches like Steve Hansen, for instance, um, you know, they, they, or you look at the Richmond Tigers in AFL with Damien Hardwick. He had seven years before he won a premiership, and he was under scrutiny so many times. And it all comes back to your cattle, boys. It has to come back to your cattle. And I can tell you, I personally would have loved to have played underneath Michael Checker, and I, I know... Everyone I played with, like the John Eels, the George Gregans, the Stephen Larkhams, they too would love to have played under Michael Checker simply because we understand how good of a coach he is as well as, I can tell you right now, coach is really not just about plays and about picking how to do a line-out. It's about the passion and the confidence he can draw out of an individual, I can tell you. Michael Checker has that in leaps and bounds. And I just I, I laugh and scoff at people saying he's not the right person for the job. My God, he's, he's the best coach we have. Um, I'm a, unfortunately, um, if you're going to look at our, the reason why we're in this situation, it's, it's our cattle. I'm sorry, boys. Jeremy, you, you know Stephen Larkin particularly well from all your time at the, the Brumbies. What do you think the, the Wallabies, well, Checker in particular, what do you think he's, you, you touched upon his strengths in terms of being able to galvanise the group, but from a, what are his other strengths and perhaps even his weaknesses from what you've seen from the outside? You mean uh, Michael Checkers or yeah, Stephen yeah, Ma- Ma- Michael yeah, Checkers. Yeah, look, uh, oh, mate, look from the outside. Obviously, you know he, he comes across as, as quite an intense individual, but he also, you know, he's he's um, you know looks differently in different aspects. I suppose you can see the pressure that sort of hits with him depending on when he shaves and when he's had a haircut and all this sort of stuff he's he's quite uh he's quite the angry bloke as well isn't he like you can see how passionate he gets um you know he's had a bit of controversy about that slamming doors and potentially saying words in front of cameras about referees that shouldn't be said but um that's what i love about michael checker look again going on a strength and weaknesses look he got australia to a 2015 world cup uh, final. I mean, we, we had no chance of getting to that. We also, you know, we, we should have won the Bledisloe Cup last year. Barring 30 seconds of All Blacks brilliance in Dunedin Test, we should have won 2-1 last year. Um, you know, this guy, I, I think, you know, again, we've, he's lost the side as well, so lost the Western Force. Um, he's the first coach to ever bring together all franchises and now have a fundamental list of skill acquisition for specifically for positions. So, for example, boys, do you know Australian rugby, for 21 years we have not had the ability to go back to our franchises and, and hookers all throw the same. 
Like we, we, we have been so inconsistent in teaching the fundamental skills of our game per position. So halfback passing. We've had four different coaches, New South Wales, Queensland, um, you know, Melbourne Rebels um, and ACT, all, all saying you got to pass like this. And then you get to the Wallabies, so you got to pass like this. We have not had that consistency of five of four franchises and then going to the Wallabies doing exactly the same thing. So Michael Checker created that as the first coach to ever have brought all the franchises and stakeholders together. So that's hopefully going to be implemented uh, in the coming year, I believe. Um, hope I'm not. Uh, hope I'm not letting anything go that I should be talking about. But I'm very proud because it's something that when I was a part of the Rugby Union Players Association Executive Board, we were screaming for, and it's something the All Blacks have done for 15 years now, where it's all come from the top. So everyone from the All Blacks, it all trickles down. And you can have your own game plans. You can have your own attacking styles. But as long as we have those key fundamentals like line-out lifting, scrummaging, everything the same, players can can actually improve and there can be a progression in their skill acquisition. So, you know, for me, mate, I, I love Michael Checker. And, I'm, you know, I, it's, it's, it just makes me laugh that anyone thinks he's under pressure. There's no chance he should be under pressure. Well, the interesting thing, too, is that, um, you know, people say, oh, Michael Checker's got to go. I mean, I, I, I get it standing on sidelines every every Sunday as well. Yeah. But then you <laughs> yeah, say, oh, well, well, so who would you replace him with? And they go, oh, oh, um, oh. And they, and they can't think it. Like, it's not like they've got someone that's screaming out. A ready-made replacement. A ready-made replacement. Like, what, what, are, what are we... Well, even... that's, that's it, isn't it? Look, we, we've got... Well, look, I think Stephen Larkin has been groomed for that. And I think he's... I think, you know, I think he's has, has done a good apprenticeship through Super Rugby. Um, I think he needs to be joined with a great team, though, like Steve Hansen does, has had. Um, you know, he's always had the two assistant coaches. Well, the three coaches have always have sort of shared a similar, um, I suppose, coaching point where, you know, everyone sort of gets their opinion. And I think, you know, and they also offer their strengths um, towards the team and their values and their standards. So, you know, someone, look, and I've been saying this for a bit now, like when you look at our Super Rugby franchises, you've got Brad Thorne, who's New Zealander, you've got Dale Gibson, who's New Zealander, you've uh, got David Vessels, who's a Rebels coach, who's South African. And so we've only produced in Super Rugby as Dan McCullough, who's in his first year and is under pressure to hold his job as it is. So, um, you know, we're not actually producing Australian coaches and, um, you know, I think this is one of the faults that have been of Australian rugby is we haven't had pathways for coaches coming through. And, um, but I, I'd like to see someone, and I'd, I've been, like I said, I've been saying this for a while now, is someone like Scott Robinson, who has won two Super Rugby uh, Championships. He's also won multiple Australian and uh, New Zealand under-20 World Cups or won a couple of World Cups. He, he just, what he does with sides and what I've heard about how he coaches and he's also been a part of every single franchise win, the Crusaders. He's been a part of nine Super Rugby titles, seven as a player and two now as a coach. Uh, can you imagine him and Stephen Larkham together? Like, it's just, you know, so I don't know why we're not chasing someone like him. If Michael Checker leaves... 2019. Indeed, there are a few other names out there. Do you think, before we let you go, Jeremy, do you think the Australian public, after Robbie Dean's 
uh, departure in 2013, the, the Australian public would be able to get behind a foreign coach, though. It's something that I think uh, under Rod Kafer and in the, in the coaching team that he's assembling, they're keen to have Australian coaches come through, as you've pointed out. And I think Raylene Castle has also said that their preference would be to have an Australian coach. No, of course, mate. Look, you always want to build your own stocks. But at the end of the day now, I think we're also... We're also at a very, very critical point in rugby union's, I suppose, pathway here or roadway, really. Look, we're at crossroads. Um, Super rugby is in all sorts of doubt uh, with South Africans potentially leaving. Um, You know, you've got Michael Checker, who has already publicly said he will leave in 2019 if he does not win the 2019 World Cup. Now... That's a big call that he's going to win that. So if he, if he doesn't win it, they better have someone that's going to come in. Now, regardless if you go overseas or not, look, I still think we need to select the best coach. And, yeah, we didn't we, – we stuck with Robbie Deans because there were people within the AAU organisation that believed in Robbie Deans after two years, and we but then he stayed for five years. So I'm sorry, but I, I don't think we need to go on the past and look at someone like Robbie Dean's failure to not then look at a foreign coach because I think we need the best coach. You look at soccer, you know, we're sort of heading more towards there now um, where we don't produce the best coaches in the world. We need the best coaches in the world. And don't forget, boys, they've also got to take the job too. So let's, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, it's a big call to be taking the Wallabies job. Like, if you don't know what what your high performance unit and, and your and the kids that are coming through and the competitions that you have, you know, it's a difficult job to take. But I still believe we need to have the best coaches in the world because we're not producing them at the moment. I think once we start producing the best players and we start getting back to winning, you know, I think then there will be um, more coaching opportunities for coaches to stay in Australia and produce, uh, so Australia can produce their own uh, their own coaches. Well, who the uh, next Wallaby coach will be is the discussion for uh, further down the track. The discussion this week is uh, can the Wallabies get over the All Blacks at uh, at Eden Park. So we find out on Saturday night. JP, I know you'll be watching. So um, thanks very much for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Mate, what a pleasure, boys, and thanks for having me. I really, mate, I don't mind classing your show up. I, I really don't. So um, enjoy that. Mate, you're working off a low base, so that's that's it's <laughs> all very good. Mate, and a low budget. <laughs> mate, this, mate, this is my time. Who do I send the invoice to? Uh, it doesn't matter. It won't be paid anyway, so it's all good. <laughs> all right, mate. Hey, uh, talk thanks, soon. Boys. See you, mate. Bye. Cheers, boys. Do like catching up with Jeremy Paul. You never quite know what you're going to get from JP. But uh, interesting thoughts on the coach, fully behind Michael Checker, and you know, from one loss. Who was talking about this last week? Who was talking about replacing Michael Checker last week? Off the back of one loss, all of a sudden, got to get rid of him. Really? Yeah. Look, I woke, I must admit, I woke up on Sunday morning and I wondered when someone was going to write that. You look at the record, and the Wallabies have now lost three straight tests. They've lost uh, what is it, five of their last six tests as well. Last year they lost twice to Scotland, uh, and they only had you know a bit of a rusty fall over the line victory against Italy with a couple of tries later on. They they, they haven't been particularly impressive by any stretch of the imagination, but. It does seem a little bit rich when you... I, I don't think there's too many candidates that you could potentially replace him with. But you, you, you look at what Michael Checker is, and, and Jeremy Paul brought it up. 
and he said, look, the, the idea of having a greater collaboration and everything working for the greater good, which is your Wallaby side, is something that Michael Checker is a, a big thing that he's done. Um, but I think also the, the Wallabies, they had to, in 2016, 2017, probably go a step backwards to go, to go forward again, I think, with the rebuilding. And you don't like that phrase of rebuilding because the Wallabies haven't won a Bledisloe in a long, long time. But... They had to do that, and I think we're see, starting to see uh, consistency of selection now. I think we'll start to see some improved results. But it's pretty difficult also to compare yourself always to the All Blacks, which is what we're going to do geographically being right next to them. Yeah, we'll uh, play them more than any other Indeed, and it was world. only two tests ago that we beat the All Blacks as well. So I think we'll probably cool the kettle just for a little bit. Uh, play on, we'll see how they go this week and you'd expect a response but it's certainly important that the, the Wallabies beat the Springboks and they beat Argentina uh, they, are, they are two masks particularly at home Indeed, alright, uh, let's catch up with our next guest on the Fox Rugby Podcast Andrew Slack You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast Well, he is a man who holds the title of being the last Australian captain to win and beat the All Blacks at uh, Eden Park. And I'm sure he'd be quite happy to lose that title this weekend. Andrew Slack, welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Thanks, Nick. Um, what is your gut feeling? And I do apologise that uh, the only time we ever speak to you is uh, during this week, every time that the Wallabies go back and play at Eden Park. What's your, what's your gut feeling out of the back of what happened in Sydney on, on Saturday night and heading towards Eden Park this weekend? Well, my gut feeling before last Saturday was, was a good one. So there goes my gut feeling and its uh, credibility. Um, uh, I'm not sure my gut feeling's what you want. Um, clearly, you know, you can really only go on the evidence of the last performance, and the last performance was crook, let's face it. I mean, there's no way that at that level you should be losing that number of line-outs, whatever the, you know, whatever inverted commas excuses are. But what I have learned over recent years is what you get on one weekend from the Wallabies is different the next weekend, and I'm... You know, I don't think we're a bad team, but we do have a terrible capacity to play badly. And until I can get that sorted, um, the gut feel is never going to be one that, you know, fills you with enormous confidence. You're not wrong, Andrew. The, the, the gap between our best and worst is far too great, and we don't see the same gap with the All Blacks, who's is generally it's excellent or very good. Um, Andrew, what, what do you put down to the inconsistency within a game and, and from week to week? Well, I, I think inconsistency of personnel, to be honest. I mean, we do chop and change a lot. I don't, I don't think the selection panel is... Uh, I think they need an outsider in the selection panel. I think that should happen in... In Queensland rugby and all provincial rugby, I think it happens in the All Blacks a bit. So I think we get our selections wrong and we fiddle with them too often. So, um, you know, that's that's not the only issue because guys have got to step up and be responsible for inconsistency within the 80 minutes, let alone from week to week. Interesting comments there, Andrew. What about leadership? How much of an impact does that take? Because we saw throughout the, the first test there when the All Blacks, things weren't quite going their way, that Brody Retallick, Kieran Reid, two of their most experienced players within the forward pack, come together and they were, it seemed like they were laying down the law on what 
the All Blacks needed to do to get back into the match. Do the Wallabies have that yet? Is that one of the reasons, or not have that yet? And is that one of the reasons why the Wallabies might struggle internally in the game? Well, potentially, and I don't want to beat the same drum, but, I mean, that comes with people being confident in their place in their side and knowing that they're there week in, week out, you know, performance, counting on performance, of course, but that they've established themselves as somebody within that side who, who can say something when the chips are down and don't have to have the C beside your name. But, again, there's a turnover of personnel, which I think sometimes would put, put people who could be, in a sense, that natural leader or, or assistant to the leader... Um, making them a bit, for want of a better word, shy in those moments. So um, I can understand, you know, the All Blacks have been there and they've been a, a steady selection and everyone would have a say. Um, I, I felt before the last test that we're probably getting a bit better in that area and certainly from backs, I think, Curtly Beal is probably more of a leader than he once was, but we probably do need it in, in that pack as well. Just, um, just in terms of this Eden Park hoodoo, and I, you know, I hate referring to it like that because you mm. know it is just a, a football ground with some white lines and a couple of posts at each end. But I look here, and the closest we've got um, since your victory there, bar the win over Wales in in the 2011 World Cup, but against the All Blacks, the closest we've got there is uh, a six-three loss in in 1991. This weekend, Sakopi Kepu and Tatafu Pilota now the only two Wallabies uh, from last. Last weekend's lineup, who were born when you guys won at Eden Park, um, it, can you can you understand what it is about that place? Is it something that you're able to put your finger on, or are you a bit puzzled like the rest of us? Yeah, I'm puzzled. The only the only thing I've, I've said and you know sort of been th- saying it for 31 years is that whenever you're playing there, you're playing a good side. You know, I mean, we're not. With all due respect to Adam Coleman, and I think comes from Tasmania, we're not playing Tasmania. Um, we're, playing, we're playing the All Blacks every time. Yeah. So that makes it a bit harder. Um, you know, I think if we'd have played England or Ireland or Wales or France that often at Eden Park, we'd have beaten them. Yeah. <laughs> it just keeps being the All Blacks. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just, look, I, I'm fuddled by it. I don't know why it should be any different. It's a, you know, it's a cricket ground. It's a slightly different um Set up. I always found it a bit difficult playing on cricket grounds, to be honest, um, alignment-wise. But um, and and I guess the All Blacks now are so used to that. And you you just referring to the fact that there's you know probably not a lot of guys potentially there who played um, uh, at Eden Park all that often. I don't know. But but again, it's slightly different from playing at Allianz Stadium or something like that, or even ANZ Stadium. So, but that's a, that's a long-winded way of saying I don't know. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. No, there's something in you know, the fact that, yeah, you've got to play the All Blacks every time you go there. That makes it uh, a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, this week we've seen Israel Folau being ruled out and uh, there's a lot of discussion about who will fill his position at the back. What's your take on it? Would you would you potentially shift Kirtley from 12 back to fullback where he's played a lot of his career, 31 tests, or would you shift Dane Haylett Petty or even give it bloody young, a youngster? Yeah, well, I think um, I think Beal has played so well this this year. He didn't get much of a chance on the weekend, and again, him playing fullback or wherever is not going to mean a bean 
unless our forwards do a better job than they did last week. And let's take the assumption, make the assumption that um, they will do a better job. I'd keep him where he was because he's been so good there this year. And I think we probably need something like him, someone like him in that midfield. And I'd probably take the punt on the kid, on, on Jack Maddox or Tom Banks. I mean, I think Jack showed his pretty, I think he's a pretty calm sort of guy. I don't, I don't think he'd be overwhelmed by, I don't, I don't know him, but from what I've heard, you know, he's not going to be as nervous as a kitten um, and probably would have a go. And so, you know, I, I would probably leave Dane Hale Petty where he is on the wing. I felt sorry for him the other day. Didn't get much to do, dropped a ball, and that was probably the turnaround. Um, but I think a bit more thrust potentially would, would come from either Maddox or Banks. And on the back of the fact that he picked Maddox last week and he performed well, I, I'd say he'd probably got his nose in front of Tom Banks. Interesting thoughts. Uh I, I want to bring you back to a man who made his and and the perhaps the the um, well 1986 your fullback Andrew Leeds I believe he made his debut on that day and if indeed Michael Checker was to bring Tom Banks into the side or Jack Maddox in his second test we talk about Eden Park and how menacing it can be at times but Andrew Leeds on that on that day you you won and how do you think he how do you think he went that that day? Clearly, pretty well. But in terms well, of was he uh, the composure and and so forth? Well, he's a calm guy, and Andrew Lees was a very calm guy. It would be hard to sort of find a you know a heartbeat on Andrew in terms of playing. He was, I mean, I'm sure he was anxious at times, but he never never gave that impression. Uh, he scored a try early, um, and I guess that you know helped his confidence. Be very solid as a as a fullback, but I, you know, again, I come back to that point with Jack. He, although I don't know him, he seems to have that sort of Leeds kind of demeanour. Um, so whether we can draw a, you know, a 32 year <laughs> connection between two debutant <laughs> fullback, we might really be pushing boundaries. Yes, but, it, you know, I think at this stage we try anything, don't we? Is that grasping at straws right there? I don't <laughs> know. Potentially. <laughs> and, and just quickly, um, the reunion on the weekend, and and of course there was uh, the reunion of the the twenty year get together for the nineteen ninety eight Wallaby team, but but also for you guys from nineteen seventy eight the Wallaby squad, the the beat Wales in a series here in Australia, wasn't it? And then you went on the big tour of New Zealand. That mm-hmm. I know that um, that you get to go to a few reunions nowadays, but it, it must be a, a special time for you. Yeah, it, it was fantastic. I mean, they're, they're a great bunch. I mean, I, I saw a photo of us um, from when we left Sydney Airport and most of the guys were there, which says something. I mean, five have died, three of the players have died mm. um, uh, and the manager and coach, but um, nearly everyone else, else who could be there was there. And, um, you know, it really, really was quite special because ultimately, although it was a... It was a um, we won that last test and Corny scored four tries. It was an unsuccessful tour. We didn't win the Bledisloe and we only won eight out of 13 games. But it, it really was, I think it was, a, that tour was in a sense a foundation to the success we had later on. But more than that, they were, they were great guys. And I remember saying on the weekend that I hope the 2018 team will be going on 2038 and 2058 reunions <laughs> because, well, you know, it's what, it, what the game is about and, and it was, you know, it was a game and a team with a lot of players and not much staff. Now we've got a million staff, and I'm just not sure that you can get that same feel. It might be a bit sounding old school and my day kind of stuff, but um, it'd be sad if if they're not having a reunion in 20 or 
40 years regardless of their, their success or otherwise. Well, at the end of the day, isn't it, I, I guess... You know, it's not. You don't play the game to have reunions, but you play the game to create a culture that makes you want to have those reunions yeah. down the track. Yeah. And you kind of hope that that exists around this current Australian team, don't you? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, the, the difference obviously between uh, it was it was fun and a hobby. It it is now a business for them. So, you know, there, there are extra things that come in, but by and large, you don't want to lose the foundation, which is that it's a game. Uh, Andrew, it's been great to have you on on the pod. Before we let you go, what's we, we asked you what your gut instinct if it was? Uh, what how, how do you think the match is going to play out on Saturday, and and what scoreline would would you have? You know, I really really hate doing this. Someone asked me this <laughs> last week before the game, and I mean, what's the point of me having a punt because I wouldn't have a clue. Um, my my. My feeling is it would be better, and you know, and we've ju- well, we've just got to be better. Um, we couldn't be worse. Um, I, look, I, I honestly don't know if we get the if we get the um, some parity at, at the set piece. And, uh, and I said when I was asked the question, if you know, I think we'll get parity at set piece. Well, we didn't. So there goes that thought. Um, but hopefully, we'll we'll have learnt from last week, and um, you know, we can win with that and the right bounce of the ball, but. You know, we've got, we got to do it. It doesn't matter what somebody thinks we might do. I haven't got a clue what will happen, but I, we're in we're in with a chance, but um, we need great improvement from last week. Exactly right. On that note, um, once again, thanks for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. It's always lovely to catch up. Thanks, Nick and Christy. Ta. Andrew Slack, and uh, wouldn't it be nice to, you know, I do enjoy talking to him, but not have to call him in the week leading up to uh, the next Bledisloe Cup match. Well, the last time I saw Andrew was uh, at the Sydney Cricket Ground, I think, late last year when they finally when they announced that the Reds and the Waratahs were going to play there. So, That's right, with uh, Yeah, with yep. Puerto. So that, um, it's not always the case, but it gen- generally <laughs> is. And it's a shame, well, I think I flunked that question beforehand about the fullbacks, but it was the last time that uh, a fullback made his debut. Yes, Yep. at Eden Park yep. was when Andrew Leeds made his debut. So I would like to see Tom Banks um, be, given a, be given a shot. I think he's got a lot about him and, and uh, he's a guy that brings pace, a bit of X factor about him, which David Campese spoke about a couple of weeks ago. So you never know. Mm. You never know. Had to um, sit down yesterday and do some scripting and, and do some writing for the opener um, for the start of our broadcast on Saturday night. It's a really hard thing to do. Like, how do you approach that off the back of um, what happened on on Saturday night? Do you do you keep trying to you know sell the hope? And and really, when it all boils down, and I sat there sort of you know pen poised, and when it all boils down, it's all about the Wallabies. Uh, they can't do it for. You know, you want to you want to say, oh, you know, you do it for your fans and and do it for the game and all of that. Forget all of that. This Saturday night, the Wallabies just have to go out and they have to do it for themselves. They have to do it for their self-respect and they have to look at each other in the eye. You almost want them to forget about everything that's going on around them and, and the, the, the press and, and what's happening over there and you know criticism back here and all that. You just want to look each other in the eye and do it for themselves. Well, it's, I suppose that's one of the reasons why Michael Checker has taken them to Waiheke Island off, or 40 minutes off the coast of, of Auckland is to try to get away, is to try to do something different because what they were doing before arriving at Auckland at the same hotel, doing the same thing, clearly was 
wasn't wasn't working, and it, this could be a, a nice little circuit breaker to snap it out. Uh, and and you look back at Andrew Slack's era, I think they lost in Dunedin two weeks before they went to Eden Park and won. So you can lose and then come back and win, but it's going to be very very tough. Indeed, and uh, we are going to find out, aren't we, on uh, on Saturday night in uh, what is the second match of yet another double header. It was such a success. Last Saturday night with the Wallaroos hosting the Black Ferns, uh, the return bout, the early game at Eden Park on, on Saturday and then straight into uh, the All Blacks and the Wallabies after that. And, uh, well, who knows? Let's hope we perhaps are talking about some, uh, some Wallaby success out of the back of Indeed. that evening in Auckland. Christy, thanks very much. Thank you also for your company once again on the Fox Rugby Podcast.